We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, True Faith listeners. This is Norman Reilly with a brief introduction to a Best of South America podcast put together fantastically by me, travelling companion, colleague and dear friend Michael Crean. We really hope you enjoy it. We hope you give you, it gives you a feel for what uh, what we got up to over there and that it encourages you to listen to the podcasts that are up if um, you haven't already listened so the first clip um, that is from Lanús. If uh, anyone listening to this recalls, we visited Lanús, um, an Argentinian Premier League club owned by the fans. We got taken around the stadium. We got a tour of, of the the dressing rooms. We got onto the pitch, around the whole complex. It was just a fantastic day. We met some fantastic people. Um, spoke about Miguel Almiron because, of course, he was very influential in the title winning season in twenty fifteen. Um, we got to talk to some of the ultras, uh, the socios, the members, um, absolutely brilliant people, really interesting what they said about club ownership and how they feel about their club. And um, and we just got a feel for what the football club represents to the local community, to the local barrio of Lanús. It, um, it was eye-opening stuff and, and a model that um, I wish maybe Newcastle United could emulate. I don't think it'll ever happen, given the money in the Premier League and given how uh, the game's evolved over here. But it is certainly something that um, I'd be... Very much um, up for, if the possibility of existed, club fan ownership. What a concept. This is a True Faith Patron podcast. I'm Norman Rayleigh, joined by Mike Crean, and we are currently sat in a plaza called Plaza de Rego, which is in the San Telmo Barrio in Buenos Aires. Plaza Tony de Rigo. Plaza Tony de Rigo. It's um, Monday, the God, I've lost dates here, 8th of July. It is 8th, yeah. Monday the 8th of July, um, and this is a, a podcast on, on the day we had yesterday at Lanus Football Club, the club where obviously Miguel Almiron, Newcastle's current, I wouldn't say a superstar just yet, but somebody who I think can, uh, can get to superstar status um, throughout his career, whether that's at Newcastle or not, is a discussion for another time, but um, we had such an incredible day yesterday, we learned so much, and we, were, we were welcomed with open arms by fans of Lanus and employees of Lanus, and um this podcast, I guess, is just uh, what, we're, what we're talking about. Um, talking about yesterday, Mike. Um, so, just give me give me your kind of interpretation as to as to how the day went. Well, it, it was as you would have seen from from Twitter. We were given access to all areas, just like we weren't expecting half 
of what we got yesterday and you know over the coming days and weeks you'll see so much more of the footage we got and uh, and actually talking to um, some of the socios the you know the fans uh, you know the, the the fans who own the club um uh, talking about uh, about Almiron and the club itself but to sum it up it's just so much more than a football club like you you go there and it's it's enormous it's a whole complex this club like the football stadium is there but you've got hockey pitches you've got rugby pitches you've got youth football pitches you've got women's football you've got a whole sort of social club you've got school buildings you've got kids like kindergarten you've got like the yeah that that social building big barbecue area playgrounds like it's unbelievable and it and it and it it is for the community it's made by the people for for the people and that that club it is just it's on a different scale to anything in england it's just i I couldn't believe it just like how how far it's fallen and how how much it encompassed and it's just it it, it really is the hub of that community and and even if people you know are are members there and 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 don't necessarily go to the football it's about even more than that like it's it's a massive part of of that part of buenos aires in lanus the, the 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 barrier there and it was it was incredible how open and generous they were with their time like the whole day we spent a whole day seven eight hours we talked about nothing but football absolutely um I think the points you make about Lanus being embedded in the community, it's not even like they're necessarily embedded in the community. The, 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 the sport and institution Lanus is the community. Um, so on, on site, um, as you said there, you know, you've got hockey, football, tennis. Um, there's an outdoor swimming area. There's um, rugby. There's pretty much everything you can imagine. And... What you've also got is it, is it covers all ages from tiny kids up to adult level and, and also what they do as well is they've got um, every kind of person involved with Lanus, every every kid that gets involved with Lanus, they also go to school on, on site so they're getting, they're getting their education and that's what impresses me is that obviously people who, who mightn't necessarily make it into, you know, professional, um, into a professional sport, they're still going to leave, I mean, I say leave, you never really leave because you're a member and you're a member for life more or less but... If you know if you don't make it in that prefer- your chosen sport and field, you still leave with like qualifications. So you've got life skills and you can go out and get work. And and obviously the amount of people that the the institution itself employs is is phenomenal. And and what I found incredible was the people that showed us around the stadium yesterday. Um, they work at the club, but they don't get paid because they're socios, they're members. And I think now Lanus has got twenty five thousand members. So the club itself was formed in the in the late eighteen hundreds and. Um, it, it you know went through some tumultuous times. It's it's always been a kind of mid-table Premier League side on average, um, but it went through a really bad period in the eighties and almost went down to the third division. The membership was down to a couple of thousand, I think, and and it was dying basically. Um, but they kind of regrouped and and, re, and they really made a push for it and, and they got promoted. Uh, they got promoted and you know they built the year on year with the members and they've gone up to twenty five thousand now and and obviously that that rebirth and that growth accumulated in, in 2016 with um i mean to a certain extent in 2007 with uh with the league win um and then you know then they won the um copa sudamericana which is i suppose the equivalent of the champions league uh, they have two champions leagues really don't the libertadores and the sudamericana because they have an, an opening season and a closing season to the year but the title win in 2016 obviously that was um the one in which miguel Almiron played and it's quite a sad story about in a way how he actually found himself in the side isn't it 
Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you you'll be able to um, you know go go into that in in a bit more more detail than me Norm. But it was um, you know the, the circumstances in, in in which it was brought to the club. Um, but the the one abiding memory for me is how much affection they have for him still there. The the, the phrase "muy querido" uh, was used umpteen, very loved on, on on that day. Very loved. Um, and you know, as you'll see from our videos, and they're, they're they're singing his songs at the end. Like, you know, this guy is a, a huge part of the fabric of that club and that club's history. Um, you talked about the difficult times they had, and you know, sort of how they've how they've you know come again, and, and in recent years, are those uh, you know filled the trophy cabinet again. Um, he's a massive part of that, and they're count, recounting numerous like big games, big goals in front of you know sixty thousand crowds, high pressure games where he delivered. Um, in, 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 in massive games which gives you a, a kind of a bit more context obviously you only see him at Newcastle and you see him as a, a player developing in the league and a lot of potential and has made a promising start but you know, this is a guy that's already done it in big big pressure games and you know has a is 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 idolized by by these fans um in argentina in lanus um but yeah as you say it is a original it was quite a big transfer fee for yeah, Van Lanus so, yeah. it was nearly a record wasn't it when he, when he came that, that's right so, so what happened was um the unfortunately Lanus um one of the one of the players he, he died um in an accident and obviously Lanus were you know, they were kind of pushing for the title, and they needed um, they needed someone to come in, and and they'd already they paid uh, two million to um, Paraguay's uh, Cerro Porteño, two million dollars US dollars, I think it was, um, and the intention it wasn't really to, to play him; it was kind of to, you know to break him in gradually because he was only young; he was nineteen or twenty, I think, when he signed, yeah. um, but obviously he, he was kind of thrown in in these high this high pressure situation, and he just responded immediately. Um, he scored. Some incredibly important goals. Um, a goal away against Racing um, in, in the stadium of Racing, which I think led, led to them winning the title. Um, he scored in the a game against San Lorenzo. They crushed them four 0 He scored against the biggest rivals, um, Banfield, um, and he obviously gives the impression, or, or they, these these fans we were talking to were very much the impression that he's, he's a big game player. Um, and the fondness that they had for him, I mean, it's not only what they're, what they're talking about him. I mean, we were inside the club yesterday, and if you look. If you go inside the club and, and you'll see videos and photos of this when they're released, when we get back to the UK and everything's edited and packaged up, um, there were photos of him all over the wall um, as part of this title winning side. I mean, and he looks about 15 years old. And yeah. what really impressed me about him as well is that I think we've all seen him. He's a very, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a slip of a lad. He's very thin. Um, he, he doesn't look like he could take a tackle, but he was getting tackles crunching through him in the Argentinian league. We've seen it in England as well um, because of his, his pace. His pace is utterly incredible. And... And basically, um, they mentioned one incident where the he was kind of on the floor and he was having players hoofing him, and he managed to use his head and head the ball along the floor to put it out to someone. It was just just a kind of moment which made you think, yeah, this kid is this kid is really hard. And um, the as I say, the, the, the little things like this just over here, especially, are really appreciated. It's like it's like in England when you get a player who who can give tackles and can take tackles, and it, it's someone that you might necessarily expect can can do that. Um, and Obviously, what he also did to Lanus, um, I don't know if you want to talk about this, mate, is he, he changed that style of play, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. He was, as you say, a lot of what we talked about with uh, the, the Sostios yesterday was just like that speed of thought. That came up a lot of times. We were talking about loads of different players, weren't we, and, and, and you know different values and attributes they brought to the team. But 
what they really appreciate is that speed of thought you know as well as his, his physical speed and but you know he could open up so much space for other players in the team because he was just uh, ahead of the game and, and also talked about like his running style as well like how smooth he is he's one of those players Glades. who can who can run and run and run but it doesn't seem like he's running yeah they mentioned they, um, they mentioned him in the 95th minute of a of a really important match where everyone was like you know hanging out hanging out their asses and there was a break on and Armiron just ran the full length of the pitch um and you know I think we've already seen that at Newcastle the stamina that he's got that he's got and you know we asked them how far we think he can go and, and you know and bear in mind these lads have seen some incredible players come through the Argentinian yeah. leagues and they said that if he's given the right management he's given the right direction then he can be one of the best and he, what is he 25 26 and I suppose my fear is is that obviously the way that Newcastle United are being um run at the moment my fear is that he that he'll go within a season but what I you know if that happens what I do hope to see is even a slight um, window into, into what obviously these these lads have, have seen over here. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it, yeah, as you, as you say, the the fact they hold him in such high regard, they're talking about a player. You know, you savor those moments. They're not a you know not a not a, a traditionally huge club that would expect to win the title every year. But you know, they were mentioning that the fact that it was an incredible time to have a player like that that you knew could basically tear any team in the league apart you can walk into any team in that league and it's a it, it's an amazing it must be an amazing feeling when you have that when, and, and you appreciate it's not going to last forever they you know they they know the deal they buy they buy players and you know they need to they need to sell them on you know they buy young players develop them and need to sell them on to to Europe and that I mean that that's something that that you know they they accept and you know but they but they just enjoy that moment and enjoy that kind of like um whether it's a, a couple of years you have with those special special players because um you know if you, if you worry about a moan about them always getting sold on yeah, yeah there comes a point where you've got to enjoy yeah. that part of life and it's, yeah. it doesn't come along you know every year yeah i i think we could we could talk forever we could relay the whole eight hours we were just basically chatting with the lads yesterday but i think one one point to wrap it up on was is just a a massive thank you from us and how like really humbling really how how proud they were to have us there um and how they couldn't do enough for us you know like we expected to kind of like meet them for barbecue chat to a few of the fans have a photo outside the stadium got there straight away For, for starters we were picked up um, by yeah. by Topo and, yeah. and Fede, Fede the press secretary and, 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 and Topo, one of the you know one of the socios, um, uh, take us all the way to the ground, guide a tour around around some of the other stadiums of Buenos Aires, and took us into the ground, took us inside the guts of the stadium through the changing rooms, through the manager's office, with the tactics board in use and up through the you know open the gates, allowed us right onto the pitch, took us everywhere. We you know we 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 didn't ask for this, so like come here, come here, come here, let's do this just they, they couldn't do enough and they couldn't stop saying like you know it's it's great like they're, they're so grateful that we came and for us it's obviously the complete the other way around it's just i can't i can't overstate how generous these people uh, were were and open both of their time and kind of like what is you know the love of their life and uh, and sharing that that with us and uh, welcoming in was um yeah incredibly humble as we said it's it's something that, that we'll never forget really a day like that well said, mate. Um, put it this way, you know, if Newcastle United fans were in control of our club, it's the kind of thing that we would be able to do for people visiting from other countries, and it's it's um, it's just quite sad that 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 unfortunately won't ever be the case. So uh, 
obviously Lanus was a, a huge part of our trip out in South America, not not just Buenos Aires, but another critical cog in the wheel of, of the whole trip. Really, we uh, was uh, was a brilliant brilliant person we met out there, um, Romina Romy Sacha, um, an Argentinian football journalist. Um, who we met at Uquiza, um, at Christian Basedas' club. We were just there waiting for training, watching training, waiting to talk to Christian and interview him for the pod. And uh, yeah, we just got chatting to everyone, really. It was so open, so friendly. We were just chatting to everyone. We were talking to, to Romy. And um, yeah, then it, it turned out, in all good fortune, she was a, she was a journalist. She'd just been out in, uh, in France covering the Women's World Cup. Um, a huge Boca fan, so um, Romy was uh, one of the actual keys to the whole trip. She ended up introducing us to to, to people all over um, South America, really, and was just an absolute gem for us. A, a wonderful person. And um, we we had uh, recorded a couple of podcasts for uh, one about Boca and one you're about to hear about uh, a, a clip from about uh, women's football in Argentina and its development and and really the importance of the Women's World Cup um, this year. So um, just a, a a brief clip, but. Um, we have much, much more to thank Romy for 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 how this whole trip panned out um, than than just these uh, these podcasts. So um, enjoy. There's a, like a, a known that if you don't speak about it, doesn't exist. So we're speaking about women's soccer. So it's, the women's soccer game it's now at your house because you uh, put on the TV and it, you're watching the women's game. So if you're watching it and you let it into your house. It means that exist. By the same reason, now we have like uh, for for the young generations, we have these role models that are women, because during a lot of time for this generation of players, they have to look up for men. They don't have. She she didn't have. I mean, Florencia Monsegundo says this all the time. But it's a national player, and also Agustina Barroso. It's a defender from the national team. She doesn't have. She, she didn't have uh, like a role model, a, a women role model. Yeah. And now the next generation of players, they're gonna have it because now it's not a bad thing to do football. If the women want, the, the girls want to play football, it's okay. And the parents have to do this change. They have to stop looking at something different. And the, the sport doesn't have a gender. Everyone can play. So if everyone can play, the girls have to play too. Absolutely. Do you think that the World Cup and the fact that Argentina were there, that will have a positive effect on women's football in, in the country? Because obviously, uh, you know, the Argentinian national side, they, they, performed really, they performed really well. I think, that, I think they, they surpassed expectations. So I'm hoping that, that, that I, I hope that it has a positive impact. Do you think it will? I think this, this World Cup changed everything. Uh, change the game, change the, the, the competition, change the way that people look at football. Oh, that's the food! <laughs> um, it changed everything because not only the expectations were really low, because also they like, they up the level to, and they stand up against uh, the best team in, uh, I don't know, Japan, Japan, an amazing team. England, powerful team. Mm-hmm. Scotland maybe was the one in the middle, came from it was like the last one of the European teams okay, but they play at the 
FA Cup, they play Premier, they play Premier League. So it's it's almost the same. So I think Argentina stood up from uh, from themselves and they make a difference because uh, they they play in a different level. If we if if we look at the the, the the games at the Copa America, Argentina was a very offensive team. Yeah. But to win this respect, they have to do uh, an more an enormous uh, work at the defense area, and they didn't they, they didn't even try to uh, go forward. They stay back and they stay on the line waiting for them to come to come. Japan yeah. uh, and England was the same thing, but. They respect like this tactic, and they gain an identity that yeah. was really necessary for the team. Because in the men's team, it's not happening. So, for contrast, for contrast, I think these women inspire the this passionate game because they have I don't know money issues, uh, all these races, and I don't know the the gap of payment is. Insane. Mm. Um, you have to look through all the misogynist uh, concepts that yeah. and the prejudice that, that women have, especially here in Argentina. But against all odds, they make a difference and they make they make a statement. So I think that was like the main goal and the big change. The also the, it was the first women's World Cup that Argentina could see on television on national television right yeah so it's like baby steps but it's, it's important a, steps. yeah it's a, a big one because it's like a foundation yeah the first year we were in montevideo we met up with juan pablo taborda who is a uruguayan football historian the way I got in touch with them was uh, was via the magical world of Twitter. Um, just did a search, you know, Uruguayan journalist, Uruguayan football historian. Juan Pablo came up, sent him a message, and he was very much up for meeting us. Um, we got to Uruguay on the Tuesday, pretty much checked in at the hotel and raced up to the stadium. We walked up, it was about five kilometres away, so it was a, a decent walk. And we met him at the, at the stadium. When I say the stadium, it was the Estadio Centenario, the stadium in which... The first World Cup was played. Uh, Juan Pablo basically talked us through, you know, how this World Cup came about, about Uruguay being champions of the world in 1930, but also in the two Olympics prior to that, and how those two champs were viewed as, as World Cups as well. And he also gave us a, a unique insight into the Uruguayan psyche and, uh, you know, gave us, I suppose, a good idea as to why Uruguay may produce as many fantastic football teams as it does given that the um, population of the country is only three and a half million people i think a uh, nice little anecdote to finish off on juan pablo showed us a picture of uh this uh i would say a bloke in his 60s and this was in yeah. 1904 and he was called um line jabba Lain jabba sorry um basically the person who, who blew up the ball and They've ever been charged to to blow to blow. So in in charge of la pelota is to blow up the football. And the Spanish word, Latin American word for for, uh, for fan is hincha, un hincha. So basically, somebody who blows up the football. And the people who used to go and watch football, the few of them that were there in the pioneering days, used to blow up the footballs at the side of the pitch for the players. So this is where they got the name, los hinchas from. And I just thought that was. 
fascinating and just yeah. a, a nice little note to, to end on maybe oh yeah well yeah on my, yeah, on my foot like because we've talked about Inter so much yeah um, to find out what it actually means is great it, it, didn't even just, put two and two together even, we didn't even exactly we didn't even put two and two, two together knowing the verb and it was like it works perfectly doesn't it you're, you're literally supporting the game and making it yeah. you know in more ways than than one you're, you're making it happen which yeah. is I think it's a it's a beautiful beautiful word it is um, for that so that's one of the, one of the best moments of the trip Absolutely. actually actually we're understanding what that, that word meant so yeah. so so I mean thank you Juan Pablo for sharing yeah thank you Juan Pablo but, but yeah it's uh, it's something you never think about but glad I know it now yeah and um, listeners we hope you're glad you know it as well so the next stop we made in Uruguay, we went from the stadium where the World Cup final was held right um, to the grassroots of football, really, the next day in Chile, where we met with uh, Agustin, um, who, um, as I alluded to earlier, was uh, was a contact of Romy. Um, and um, Agustin was a, a former professional footballer and a leaves across Uruguay and across South America. You know, really hard centre back who now is uh, is helping to run a second division club um, in in Uruguay, just on the outskirts of Montevideo, called um, Via Española. And as a normal leaders in in this next clip, it was a it was a really eye opening um, look into into that level of football and the disparity between just a second division and those at the top of the first division above them. But a really um, a, a, another yeah more great people we met. At, at, uh, at Via Española and um, some really interesting insights into into how football is run at that level um, in Uruguayan. We're not famous, we're not, um, you know, celebrities or professional journalists, we're, we're just, you know, regular people with a really interest in football, so that's that's kind of what we wanted to, to explore over here. Everyday people like us who like football and what it is that they, that they do and what they're involved in. And Via Española, we got... Um, Lucky with Romina in Boca, she set us up with her friend Augustine, who um, works at this club called Vigia Española. They're a second division side in Chile. So, you know, second division or side. Uruguay. Or in Uruguay. Sorry, we're off to Chile tomorrow. There you go, heads the confusion. Um, they're a second division side in, in Uruguay. And obviously, I suppose if you look at the championship in England, you'd have an idea, a rough idea of what a championship side might look like. Um, Second division side, this particular second division side, Uruguay looks nothing like any club you'd expect in the in the championship. In fact, I would say that um, the ground would be equivalent to uh, you know a northern a northern league side, perhaps if if that um, very dilapidated and run down, but so full of character. And on arriving there, um, the, the stadium itself is called the um, Obdulio. Varela Stadium, Estadio Abdullah Varela, Abdullah Varela Stadium. So that's that's a stadium named after the captain of the World Cup winning side in the 1950s, one of the record goal scorers, just an all in all fantastic player, apparently. And we we're greeted by Augustine, and we just had um, a tour of the little ground and a, and a great talk on on what the club is and, and what it means, and again about um, its its significance in, in that particular community, and I guess um, in the wider context of Uruguayan football, um, Mike. Just give me, give me the load on what you, what you thought of today, experiences, what you took from it. Yeah, it was um, really interesting. We went into this um, again, uh, initially at the beginning of the day thinking we'll talk to Agustina about, you know, sort of Uruguayan league football in general, the big rivalries, you know, Peñarol, all, all, all these sorts of things. But as soon as we got there, 
very clearly became evident that there was much more interesting stuff to discuss. Um, you know, we, like before and after the cameras are rolling and we're recording with them, so much, so so, so much um, from social political stuff through to the actual style of football and how you play down there um, that was discussed. But um, as you say, that you know they're a, a second flight team and have been up in in the in La Primera in the uh, in, in the top flight recently uh, in Uruguay and it's. It was very strange to me to think there, being there, as you say, it's equivalent, the ground is equivalent to probably a Northern Premier League team. And it was, um, you know, to think a, a, a massive side, international players would be going, like, playing place like that on a regular basis, probably, um, in, in that league. It kind of, like, it rammed home the massive differences um, and massive disparity. We talk about disparities in England, but ultimately, you look at teams in Championship and League One, like, the setups there, incredible. You know, the setup here, um, you know, they'd have to invest a lot of money going up to if, if they were to go up to Premier League, and this is this is something that we sort of discussed with them as well, and their sort of budget and their their wage structure across the club actually, and all is really really interesting. The wage structures, in a way, it's set a lot. It's it's kind of set up on on a quality basis, a socialist basis. Um, every single person who works for the club, every single person involved in that club, so the person who paints the walls, the person who washes the kit, the person who cuts the grass, up to the footballers and the manager, they all earn the same amount of money. They all paid the same, which I think is incredibly admirable. However, the reality is, given the financial capacity of the club or the financial capabilities of the club they're all paid the minimum wage so the players for example are professional footballers they play in a professional league and they train um, along professional lines but the vast majority of them have second jobs and it's just incredible to think that you've got people who are playing football professionally in the second division who are working 70 80 hours a week basically because they're they're essentially doing two jobs Um, but the flip side of it is, as I say, the fact that they're paid equally, the fact that everyone in the club is paid equally. Um, look, I know there's an, there's an argument, obviously, you know, in England, you say, well, people go to see the players, that's why they should be paid more. And that's, you know, that's absolutely understandable. They're, they're the ones who ultimately generate the interest. They're the ones that people go to see. But every job within a club is, to a certain extent, not even to a certain extent, it is important. Equally is important. I don't know, it depends how you define that. Um, but it's important because if it wasn't, it wouldn't exist. Um, so in that sense, you know, do I believe in an equal pay across the board? Um, well, it, it's a difficult one because it just depends on how the financial structure, how, how, how the club earns its money. Um, but do I believe that, you know, every single football club in England, especially in the Premier League, given the disparities between somebody who earns, who's a player, earning 250 grand a week and somebody who's sweeping sweeping the inside of the stadiums, getting minimum wage. Do I think that's wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's absolutely wrong. We were exceptionally lucky in, uh, in Chile when we uh, got there because the Chilean Cup was going on and um, we decided that we are going to go and watch a match. And in Santiago that night, uh, there was a match being played by Unión Española based in Santiago. And um, 
a team called Deportivo Valdivia from from uh, the city of Valdivia, which is right down south in Chile. Um, and I'd arranged to um, meet up with um, a, a Chilean football fan called uh, Pato Hidalgo, um, and we met up with him. And it turns out that he was a Union Española fan by coincidence, which was absolutely fantastic. So we we had a great crack on with him and. Um, we told him we're going to the match and he said, I'll put you in touch with some friends. I can't make it tomorrow. I've got something else on. That being his wife's birthday. Um, and we thought, great, we'll meet up with these friends. We'll get to experience a Chilean football match, you know, amongst fans of the actual club that we're going to see, which um, which would be brilliant. And on the day, Pato turned up and he said it was an opportunity that he couldn't miss. So that was wonderful. Um, and we witnessed a nil-nil draw that sounds really dull. And if I'm honest, it wasn't the greatest however some of the incidents that took place during the game made for a for brilliant viewing and also obviously the experience of spending it with with such fun fantastic people um was was unique in itself i hope that um you get a little bit of a feel for for what it was like on the on the from the little bit of the match day podcast that you're about to listen to this is a true faith podcast um norman Riley sat uh, with michael crean and this, I guess, is the introduction to um, what will be our experience at Union Española um, later on today, watching them in the cup against, in the cup quarterfinals against Deportivo Valdivia, uh, who I believe are a second division side over here. Very excited about going, um, and even more excited after having spoken with um, Patricio um, Gorastegui yesterday. Pato is his uh, diminutive, and um, he was a very interesting lad, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah, real real thinker about the game and life in general, I think, wasn't he? But um, lovely, lovely guy and um, really gave us a bit of an insight into, uh, obviously, the background of Unión Española, um, sort of one of the most historic clubs in, in Chile, really, um, and, and, and and how things have changed. They've obviously been taken over. They're a, they're a, base, they're a club um, basically built by Spanish immigrants um, at the end of the, the 19th century and now have a, a Spanish entrepreneur as a as their owner, um, and and pumped a lot more money in. But um, really looking forward to going to the stadium. You know, he talked about the you know the fact it's kind of it's kind of unspoiled. Yeah. Um, hasn't really had a lot of of renovation doing so. Kind of like probably on a similar to scale to Centenario, but you know, obviously not as big. So we arrived at um, Unión Española Stadium, and um, I'm not seeing at all. Like the massive, the sort of what do you what do you call them banderas? I'm thinking flags. The massive flags with Banner, the banners. yeah banners, with the black eagle on, look like Nazi regalia. I'm not seeing that at all. Um, so we've got to the ground and we've managed to find the um, ticket office. And uh, I was just about to buy a ticket. Some big fat, horrible greasy bastard squashed in front of us. Um, that was quite funny. Um, didn't. Didn't understand the insult fat cunt, which was quite nice because that's what I that's what I called him. Um, but I we're here an hour early. There's not much going on. Um, it'd be nice to find a drink, wouldn't it, mate? Yeah, drinking a drinking a toilet. <laughs> drinking <laughs> a toilet. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The bottle of wine yeah. starting to work its way through. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, You're drinking from the toilet. Well, needs uh, must if needs must. We'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see if Mike starts drinking from the toilet. If Mike starts drinking from the toilet later on, then then obviously, yeah, yeah I'll put him on the first plane back to the UK tomorrow. Um, but we'll see. I am um, an interesting little stadium. There's plenty of the, like, sort of paramilitary police knocking around. Um, 
but I don't envisage anything kicking off. I've just seen a fan of the opposition uh, walk around in his colours without caring. I mean, to be fair, you had need teeth, so there's nothing to <laughs> knock. There's nothing to knock out there. Um, but we'll see. Wakanda Stadium looks pretty impressive. Really, very. Um, I would say very of the sort of thirties, forties. Um, no roof, obviously, and yeah. Oh, it looks <laughs> temporary. Is it? it looks good. It, look, it looks temporary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Get that bouncing. I'll, uh, I'll be intrigued to see how yeah. it, how it holds up to it. But we're in the we're in the Andes stand, basically the La Tribuna Andes. Yeah, yeah. When the Andes stand. The Andes stand. When the Andes stand, and the other thing is as well. I mean, obviously the mountains are in the distance here. The other thing as well is is that. Um, you know, this Santiago is located in, in what's known as the, the Ring of Fire, um, and uh, basically means that Santiago suffers from earthquakes. And this stadium doesn't look like it could cope with an earthquake at all. It makes his temporary stand, and it kind of looks like you know if Stevenage had a big cup game and they erected a temporary stand. That, that's what it looks like. But very interested to see what it's like inside. Um, I do like the floodlights. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're cracking like yeah. proper, like just upright, old school, yeah. but like. Just love like every ground here. Just like we talk about the temporary stand, but it's just all decked out in the colours. Like everything everywhere is just decked out in the colours of the team. Yeah, the whole like the whole area, the whole area. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And obviously the colours, yeah, the colour, or oh, the colours of, of Spain. Um, aye, let's uh, let's see our guns, and we'll report back once we're inside the stadium. So we are in the stadium right now. Um, the sun is just setting over the Cordillera or Andes. Cordillera? No, it's the Cordillera. And um, the sky is unbelievably blue, and it's it's a lovely stadium, absolutely beautiful stadium, um, and very very happy to be here. I'm with three three Union Española fans, gentlemen. Uh-huh. How do you feel about today? Do you feel that this this is a, a guaranteed victory? Well, this is uh, just the second uh, match in the second part of the year, so the team uh, are playing very bad. That's true, but but the, but the opponent it's in in a second division, so. It's uh, probably that we can win. We, we want to win. One yeah. goal, two goals. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, regard, but we want to win. When when we spoke yesterday, you told us that this team is very defensive. Um, Union Española at the moment is is a very defensive team. Yes. Um, and so, are you are you confident that this team can score two goals today? Maybe. Oh, when Union is the um, have to win, have more uh, uh, dangerous because defense is the, the best part of the team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the first division, we are in the third place. It's a very a good position, yeah. but only uh, with uh, seven defense and, and one uh, caballero, uh, the, the, one attacker. Yeah, yeah. For uh, the expectative of a, 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 a win and can buy uh, the line of the phone. So uh, there, I think they will be. Uh, um, one goal, two goals, match. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if, if you uh, uh, see the stadium, we are uh, 100 of persons, no, no more than that. This is the, the real uh, uh, fanatics of the Española yeah. for this match, yeah. you know? Yeah. Family, family. Yeah. Family match. Yeah. <laughs> Few people, but good people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do you think you'll win today? Yeah, we, we must win because uh, we are a, a, a first division team and the other team is a, a second of first B division. Uh, we are in the third, yeah. third place in the first division and they are the last, yeah. or near of last place. Yeah. Must, uh, deveria most. 
to see the difference. Yeah, you must show yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah. yes, of it's course. Only, but in the in the competitive uh, Chilean football, <laughs> it's all can uh, happen. Well, anything can happen. And in a cup match, I don't think it's. Is there is there a player for Union Española um, that we should? Keep an eye on. Is there a yes, uh, the goalkeeper of Unión Española have about uh, 10 um, kilograms over the <laughs> <laughs> the better, uh, uh, but it's, it's a great uh, um, goalkeeper. No, uh, it's a, a good, um, really a, a fantastic. He ha, a show, no, a showman. Yeah, showman. Yeah, a yeah, showman. Yeah. No, uh, and uh, uh, the, the centro delantero number nine. The centre forward, the number nine. Uh, Caballero is a. a can uh, make a, a wall of nothing, no? Uh, uh, a ball yeah. in the last part of the field, they can shoot to the to, to the and make the goal. So that's in the goalkeeper and, and, and caballero. Caballero, great. gentleman, gentleman, caballero. <laughs> yes, it's yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, give me a prediction. What's the score going to be in your opinion? Oh well, um, two two zero. Two zero. Two one. Two one. Two one. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. Fucking standing, I've got a first yellow card. I mean, honestly, just go explain that, mate. What happened there? I mean, it's more than a body check, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was, it was basically the, the equivalent of fucking spearing in rugby, wasn't it? it was outstanding. <laughs> the offending party is absolutely cracking up as well. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, he knew what he did straight away. The, um, Espanola had a bit of a break on the keeper, kind of rolled it out to the left hand side. The player sprinted to the wing, the good show of pace. And rather than just just block him, the Valeria player just put his hands straight into his face at full tilt. Absolutely brilliant. He spun the like the, the Espanola player spun round as he fell down because the because uh, the the pace he was running to the pair of hands. First yellow card, and um, if that had been the Premier League, it would have been a yellow. No, I mean sorry, a red. That would have been a red card straight away. One of the fans just shouted, um, "I shit on your wife," which is quite a strong insult. Um, I'm guessing he was very angry with some of that had happened on the pitch. I didn't say anything to be that. Angry I didn't say anything. No, no. I mean, I appreciate. What, what is, is there anything that you can think of that would make you so angry? You would see it as someone I shit on your wave. It's very specific, isn't it? No, it's very specific, and it's all. I mean, there's something. Obviously, it's like a niche, niche thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, slightly disturbing, but hey. That's just how it is, isn't it? So we're back in the uh, the flat in Santiago after having witnessed um, a, a really, a really <laughs> several crimes, yeah, 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 a nil nil draw between Union Española and um, Deportivo Valdivia, a second division side in the in the first round, the first leg of the quarter final cup tie. Um, a nil nil would only sound boring, and don't get me wrong, there were elements of the match that were boring, mate, but. Christ, we saw some stuff today that was outlawed, <laughs> outlawed in Britain <laughs> two hundred years ago. I'm, I'm fully expecting us to be placed into like a witness protection scheme at some point for some of the, some some of the crimes that went without a yellow card. I think the ref finally found his yellow card in about the hour mark. Around that, I think. Yeah, but, when, that was, but that was after when, the when fourth assault. When literally choked someone. Choke, choke <laughs> someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know what? It was, it was. Really enjoyable. It was a very different footballing football watching experience to you know what I what I usually have. And I guess what you normally have as well, Norm. But it was um, it was 
really lovely to be there with. So we went with Pato, who we, who we spoke, we, we met yesterday. Well, he, 20, turned, he turned up, didn't ago. he? He turned up, he wasn't supposed yeah, to go because it's his wife's birthday. Yeah, he was supposed to be, uh, yeah, they were supposed to be going away for the, for the week, weren't they? And he just suddenly turned up over the street. It's like, is that, is that, is that Pato? It's like, yeah, there it is. And we ended up just there with him and his mates. It was really special, wasn't it? Like being there yeah, um, fantastic. With, with them and just kind of like in their routines. This is something he said to us, I remember he said to us when we first met with him yesterday. Um, seems like we've known him a lot longer um, than 24 hours. But, um, you know, he said like he loves the the routine the kind of the day the kind of yeah. like you know the, the whole process yeah. of being at a football match and, and it's a to, form of stability isn't it that. yeah of course it, of course it is of course it is and, and everyone has a, a different sort of form of, of, of that you know that, that that routine but it was yeah it was a, it was a, it was it was lovely to, to be there with him and, and his mates and watch it and exactly the same frustrations probably expressed a bit more um Agriculture, viscerally, shall we say? Which essentially a family club was was quite quite refreshing, <laughs> I've, I've, quite entertaining. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, I've already mentioned somebody's show nice shit on your mother, um, <laughs> which I'll never, I'll never, I'll never be able to forget. No arrears from me brain, um, but um, obviously, Conchetta to Madre got a good run out today. Yeah. Um, the standard of football was uh, pretty pish poor, to be perfectly honest with you. But there were some highlights. Deportivo Valdivia, we've mentioned the fat midfielder they had. It turns out that he's ex Union Española. Ex Villarreal. Ex And he was a little bit of a, a little bit of a fatty, but he was probably the best player on the fucking pitch, to be I honest with you. I was going to say, he, I mean, he ended up being man of the match. Yeah. And it was funny, like, at the end, there was... Um, um, Different emotions, like half of the fans are going down to the, you know, to the edge of the pitch to to applaud him, like Pato, and then half were gritando. They were they, they were shouting uh, various insults at them. So it was a bit, it was a bit of a mix. But you know, he he, he came over at the end of the game to uh, to our to our stand, and um, you know, to to kind of yeah, I guess I guess he still got some friends there watching him, and you know, he, he was an expert of the club, but. It's funny, we, we picked him out the first five minutes, like, Jesus, he's carrying a bit of timber, isn't he? And they were like, yeah, he played in the same youth team as... Uh, Vidal and Vidal and all that. And everyone, and, and played at, at Villarreal. And you know what? Yeah, he turned out to be... He kept going for the 90 minutes, which amazed me. I'd love I'd love that. I'm but it, he, was, he, he turned out to be the best player on the pitch, really. But today, you know, the standard, I would say it's probably on par with League One. I would say that's probably what I was. In fact, slower than League One, but a little, a little bit more. They were probably more technically capable players, and that's yeah. a cliche. But they were very good with the kind of ball control and picking a pass. But I'll never forget the tackles. I've never, I've never seen tackles like that go in. I've, you know, when you watch videos of football in the seventies in England, like the Leeds side that were horrible, yeah. they they were like intentionally nasty in the seventies. This was just a natural nastiness. I mean, yeah, it was literally yeah. people flying in at knee height with two feet. There, there were a few where how I sort of rated it through, like the rated the uh, not as, yeah, well actually yeah, how I rated the severity of the of the tackle. Um, most of the time, the ref didn't give a foul for these. By the way, that was brilliant. Pretty, pretty much hundred yeah. percent of the time. Yeah. But there were quite a few, especially early on, when me and you were like, "Well, that's a foul," <laughs> and it wasn't. And then there were a few. Probably in the second half onwards, that Pato next to us was even kind of like laughing at, just like, 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, it's just, there, there was a beautiful one. I think the number five Seymour. The number five Seymour. Seymour. Um, yeah, yeah. For, uh, for, yeah, Seymour for Spaniola. <laughs> and the purity of the foul, I just absolutely loved because he just he just yeah. kicked him. It wasn't like you know, like it wasn't a late, <laughs> wasn't a late tackle or studs up or anything. He just swung a leg at him and absolutely <laughs> booted him. And I just I just thoroughly enjoyed not being on the end of it <laughs> and yeah. being far enough away to watch it. But it was, yeah. it, was, it, was it was a thing of beauty. There was no intention of like. You trying to hate it, wasn't yeah, it? There was no sort of motioning about getting the ball. So I'm just going to kick this out and two to form. So he, he's one of the best players, isn't he? He's one of their key players. Yeah. And after that, that like there was only a few minutes left. So it, it took two minutes left, they took him off because he's like, going to get himself sent off. I don't know what he what he would have had to have done to be sent off in that game. He would have had to <laughs> done a lot. Maybe take the ref by the shit throat, on the referee's wave. To, yeah, yeah, potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, and that would have been a booking. Um, <laughs> A second, a second. It would have been off for a second. Yeah, like, <laughs> wouldn't have been a straight red. Yeah, wouldn't have been straight. What? What? Um, I tell you what really made me laugh was uh, when so Espanola scored a, a really, a really good goal. You've you've heard this if you've been listening to this podcast. You've heard the kind of mm. post post goal reaction immediately afterwards. But um, one of the lads turned around was that we were with, and he said, "For fuck's sake, that was a goal, wasn't it?" And I went, yeah. "Oh no, guys, actually, it probably it probably wasn't." Oh, that was a, sorry, a corner. That's what it was. He goes, no, no, what well, It wasn't a corner. That came off your player. He went, you're not trying to be objective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> which, which I found really funny. Um, and then during the match, about ten minutes before the end, Pat was said to us, "Do you want to come back to mine for a drink?" And we were knackered. We're like, oh, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But we did, and we ended up sinking two bottles away with him and his wife. And it was just. Just a magical experience, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. we got the whole people. we got the whole thing, and I, I can't put into words how good these people have been to us. This next clip is from inside Colo Colo's stadium. The lads that we're talking to, Sebastian and Pavel, are um, Colo Colo historian and their fans liaison, uh, respectively. Now. I got in touch with Pavel, um, so everything everything that happened whilst, whilst we were over there kind of it went from meeting one person and them saying, oh, you should meet my friend when you're in this place, or Mike, or Mike saying, do you know anybody in this particular city, and we got put in touch with people. So this particular lad, Pavel, um, when we met Wally at the Chilean FA, I said to her, do you know, do you know anyone who supports Colo Colo, might be willing to talk to us about you know, the Rebleira brothers, about the club, how important it is to to the city and to the country in general, and um, she put us in touch with... Uh, a anarchist feminist football fan who said she was unavailable but she put us in touch with Pavel Pavel said he'd be very much up for meeting us um, and he put us in touch with Sebastian the historian and the two of us kindly the two of them kindly met us at uh, Colo Colo Stadium and as by this point was the norm we got taken inside the stadium inside this huge beautiful arena where we got to talk about how Colo Colo have influenced Chilean society um what they mean to the country as a whole and also about the Rebellion Brothers who both play for Newcastle and their very unique stories, um, unique in different ways. Um, George's for his impact on Chilean football and Ted's for more for his life, his life off the pitch. Again, uh, I really hope you enjoy this. A football club, football now is a business, it is yeah. a business now, yeah. but to run it as a, a business and nothing else, to yeah. just think in profit all the time, it, yeah. it, it takes away a little bit of the... Uh, Soul, the armor. Yeah, the, the, the soul. Um, well, we'll move on from that and we'll finish by um, just talking a little bit about um, Los Hermanos Robleros, no? the, the Robledo brothers, um, who obviously 
George history at Newcastle. Ted also, but George is a as a crack, no? Yeah. Um, let, just give me a little bit about the history of those two. Like, any, anything you can. You well, can say, uh, really? George Robledo born at uh, Iquique and the north of Chile, and very young he left uh, the country and go to England. Um, so uh, the most part of his life. Uh, no one uh, knows about Giorgio Robledo until uh, a Chilean ambassador in the UK, uh, Manuel Bianchi, uh, knows about the, this player, uh, which played very well, and uh, tried to. Uh, Robledo doesn't uh, get the British nationality, English nationality, and uh, uh, and for these uh, actions. Robledo was part of the Chilean team at the World Cup of 1950. I didn't know that. Uh, Robledo doesn't know any uh, word of Spanish. Yeah. Uh, his uh, teammates said the only thing uh, they understand is shoot, 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 shoot. <laughs> uh, but Robledo was a revolution uh, because uh, has a level of professionalism uh, without a doubt and from 1950 uh, several Chilean teams uh, tried to uh, bring back to Chile. Uh, finally Colo Colo uh, was the successful team and that in 1953 and uh, George Robledo has a revolution in all Chilean uh, football. Uh, first of all uh, uh, the way he uh, used the head mm -hmm. uh, for shoot was uh, amazing for the time. Yeah. Uh, journalists said Robledo is the first player which uh, up the head and and uh, and try the pass. Right, right. Uh, so uh, you can uh, you know where the ball was. <laughs> will uh, uh, before Robledo, all the players. Uh, Play with the head down. Head down. Um, the use of the uh, of the body, the use of the arms. I talked with the uh, ex uh, former uh, teammates of Robledo and said uh, Robledo uh, uh, teaches uh, almost everything. Use the uh, use the, uh, the elbows, arm, elbows uh, how to disestablish yeah. the other. Um, very professional. Uh, uh, and Colo Colo win with uh, very very uh, easily the championship of 1953, yeah. and even more, uh, and the most uh, important magazine of the is the Stadio magazine. Uh, Stadio said Colo Colo uh, win uh, the popularity uh, without a doubt, uh, in part of Robledo yeah. uh, and his brother, and Robledo win another. Championship in 1956, 1944, 1955, uh, Colo Colo was uh, second place. Mm -hmm. uh, Robledo was uh, top scorer 1953, 1954. Yeah. Uh, Robledo was so important. Uh, Colo Colo has a, well, no, not Colo Colo, uh, very several players uh, have a um, punishment uh, because. Uh, uh, because um, uh, discipline, uh, 
Discipline. In discipline right. and the national team. Right. Uh, and, and in 1957, uh, George Robledo even played at middle field in Colombo. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of uh, players uh, with sanction, others right. uh, with illness. Right. And Robledo, it's the best player, and even uh, even uh, there's a lot of uh, matches uh, he uh, play as a halfback, wow. uh, or middle back. Uh, it's it's very very important. And um, uh, George Robledo in, in Colo Colo, it's one of the legends. One of the legends. Yeah. Yeah. Without without. Uh, Pavel, um, you told me. Tell me the story about um, how the club financed George Robledo's uh, arrival. Robledo is very expensive, was very expensive. And the club has had to do a, an effort to, to bring him. And the socio, no se dice. Yeah, the fans, the, the, fans, the members. The members. members, the members put another, another money uh, from an extraordinary quota. Yeah, yeah. To print. Yeah. So the fact that it's been effort, effort from from the fan, from yeah. the club, and like like Sebastian say, uh, Robledo is very important for the club because it's one of the I don't know five reasons yeah. because Colo Colo is so popular yeah. in in the country, uh, and we try to to say that. To the people, to our fans, we work now with the history of the club. Yeah. Uh, every every time that a new players come to the club, mm. we told the history. Yeah. Because we think it's it's necessary to the players to know in which club yeah. they are, and because it's not like every club. Yeah. To to know for the player to know what it means yeah. to play for the club. Yeah. So as well as Colo Colo in Chile, we um we really struck gold um with another of Ramina's contacts um in uh, in Santiago. Um, this time we uh it was uh, myself and Norm were just sitting on the couch in our uh, in our apartment, just um one evening, just as we did most evenings, really sitting down messaging contacts when we were on the Wi-Fi and working out where we could meet people and interview them the next day. And we were in touch with Wale, who um, you know we knew was involved in women's football in Chile, but we didn't really know to what extent. And um, a lot of people, it's very common in South America to leave um, voice messages or, or, on WhatsApp messages. So we see a couple coming back from, from Wale, Wale after we've been talking to her. And um, she said, yeah, just meet me at my workplace. It's at the Chilean FA. At which point, myself and Norm just looked at each other, punched the air and, uh, and, knew, and knew we had a belter. So um, we ended up having a, a, a brilliant morning at the Chilean FA. They had a under-17 um, tournament going on at the time, all of the clubs in in chile had their 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 under 17 teams competing there and trialing var with the um, with the top flight professional referees at the time so if that wasn't interesting enough we then had a you know a, a brilliant chat with with Ale about about chilean football from the the men's international side to the women's international side really and um and and her journey she's been uh, the driving force in chile for, for 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 the women's national team and getting it to where it is today but she's you know she's she's one of those people you could see going around all the coaches from all the top teams were there 
all the players all everyone was hugging her and she was the life and soul of that organization which um you know you, you don't always see most people in as as we saw in pretty much every country we went into most people have gripes most fans have gripes with their fa but you know there are there are people like like wale and in, in in every country doing incredible jobs and incredible love and passion and commitment to, to the sport and the, the life it gives people really so it was an absolute joy to 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 meet her and this is a, a quick snippet from our chat with her do you think that let's see it and you may not agree with this but would you say that chile still has problems with with sexism in society and if that's the case is the success of the women's team changing that so for example you know 20 years ago a girl going to play football you can't play football you're a girl do you think that's that's changing now and this will cup will change it even for, for the better? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Because uh, 10 years ago, I'm say here, uh, uh, we start to, to get this. And if you are going to in front, mm-hmm. mm, you can see nobody. Yeah. Girls playing with the ball. Yeah. Because nobody do that. Yeah. Now, you go at the same place and you can see it. Yeah. And this is how huge for us it's huge mm-hmm. and i think this is the the big the big present for us yeah yeah no it's it's, it's fantastic to see and well, as well we're talking about the national team and you know everyone's everyone wants to go and watch them play they're very proud of the team um these best players the, the clacks um from chile the, the fact that they play the majority of their career abroad in europe um is that is that a problem for the fans? Do, 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 you, do, you, do you understand? Do you understand that, or do you think it improves the game actually here domestically as well? The fact that you lose these players, you can watch them for two, three years in Colo-Colo, Universidad de Chile, but after they go go to Spain, they go to Germany. Um, do the fans respect that? Do they appreciate that? And does it have a, an impact on the on the game domestically? I think the fans is going them. Following them. Follow, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Following them. And this is the reason why, I don't know if Chile is just the only country to do that. They change the picture. Yeah, they change yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexis is going to Barcelona. Yeah. Every kids are using Barcelona strips. Barcelona strips. Yeah. Uh, Alexis changed it for... Um, Arsenal. Manchester United. United. Ma- Manchester, yeah. everybody. Yeah. And I think the fans is going to the... Person. Yeah, you know that, and I, I don't know, I, I I don't know why, but I think they don't feel like oh they, they have followed them. I don't know why. I, I guess it's great to see yeah to see a Chilean someone from your country doing well, doing incredibly in the rest of the world like you know an international superstar. It's when we see a player from our region play for our team. <laughs> It's it's Source you're, you're of pride. really proud. You're really proud of it. I guess that's the it's just the same the same thing. Really, yeah, it? yeah. So so for you, for example, um, does it make you feel feel proud that Sanchez, Vidal, Medel, these players are, are outside of Chile doing well? Yes, it's, it's a different. source of pride. Exactly. Yeah. You feel wow. Yeah. They are going to get the first level. Yeah, you the highest that? level. Yeah. And then I think it's it's about that. It's about the feel proud because. A Chilean is uh, triumphando. Is what? Triumphando. Yeah, triumphant. Yeah, triumphant. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. 
Well, I think this is the reason here. Yeah. I'm not sure. Just in my opinion. Well, so you mentioned people with um, Barcelona tops on Manchester United. In 2001, do you remember anyone with a Newcastle United top on because of Clarence Acuna? <laughs> was, there any, was there anyone? One person? No? <laughs> yeah, I, um, no, there wasn't. <laughs> no, I think... Uh, I don't know why. Really? Uh, depend of the... Um, Samorano. Yeah. yeah. Samorano. Yeah. First, yeah. when you arrived? Um, in Juventus? Valdano, yeah, yeah, yeah. And say, you can play in my team, right? Yeah. For the, the first time. Yeah, everybody hate Valdano. Yeah. yeah. Hate, hate him. And then, when Ivan was a Pititi, we win that. It's like a... Yeah. I'm Samorano, you know? Yeah. yeah. This, is, this, is, this is different. Pichichi's top goal scorer. Pichichi's top goal scorer. Yeah. 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 And that, I don't have answer for no. your for Clarence. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> no, you going to Rancagua, everybody. Everybody loves Clarence. There you go. We still love Clarence. We were incredibly lucky to have been put in touch with Merenginha. And obviously, as we were in Sao Paulo, we thought, well, if we can interview him face to face, that would be fantastic. And he agreed to do it. But it turns out that obviously he was in a, a city called Mogiguasu, which is basically four hours um, from the hostel um, we were staying at. However, it was well worth it. Uh, we got there, waited around for Merenginha. We weren't even 100% he was coming. We couldn't get a Wi-Fi uh, signal. So it was a little bit of mild panic, I suppose. But um, in the end, Toro Tranquilo, as, as they say, everything everything worked out. Mira turned up and just um, it was just a wonderful chat with a, with a really humble, friendly, warm person. He um, told us about, obviously, you know, he gave us Paul Gascoigne stories, what it was like playing at Newcastle, how the signing came about. And... You know, for for me, obviously, it was a, a surreal experience in the sense that I um I watched him score at Newcastle. I remember him signing. I was uh, 10, 11 years old when he first arrived at the club and um, I just remember it being something incredibly exotic and that I, I never thought I'd see um, a Brazilian player signing signing for Newcastle. So to get to talk to him in a shopping centre on the um, what, three or four hours outside of of um, Sao Paulo in a, in a bit of a one-horse town, it was, uh, as I say, a slightly surreal experience and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable so again i hope you hope you enjoy this interview cheers the 2-1 victory away to liverpool um you scored a penalty against them I and mean, newcastle fans we still remember this because we won 2-1 which is very unusual at anfield um because Liverpool were the best at the time and then you ran you remember actually do you remember the celebration and why did you why did you do that celebration it was uh, it was so funny because uh, I remember when when they I, I, I ran for the ball, I, I look I look uh, the move from uh, Bruce Globola. When he moved to the right side, I put the ball inside in the middle of the net, mm-hmm. and I, I ran to the Liverpool fans. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was very very uh, uh, exciting to me because I scored one goal against Liverpool. I think. The only game Liverpool lose at home in that, in that it was, season. It was, yeah. Uh, in the end of the game, I was very, very calm down and put the ball in the net, and I go for the Liverpool fans, and they, they gave me a very warm. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, and this is was fantastic. One, the, the, the most exciting game I played for Newcastle. One before we talk about Newcastle today, one very specific question about um, one game uh, when you're in England. Um, 
can you remember kicking the goalkeeper Dave uh, Besson? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very funny because you know uh, in the game sometimes he, he he said something to me. I, I was not happy with what he said. And in the end of the game, I, I, I moved to the, near to the, the bench for, for Wimbledon and start some uh, bad words and I, I ran behind him and kicked his eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and then he sang for Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, and then he sang for Newcastle yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't play with me, <laughs> um, but uh, when he came with him and Anderson, he said to me, Mira, I... I, I I have a, you know, I think about to smash you in that game after you kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big lad. Big yeah. lad, yes, and strong as well. But it was very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two more questions in, two quick questions. Um, second last one, one funny Gaza story. If you, have, if you have a funny Gaza story, which one would it be? Which one? Oh, the first one. I remember we, we, we went to Norwich City to play against Norwich, my, my, my first game. When finished the game, we come back to in the road and take a long time to stop to, to, to take the, the, the food, uh, fish and chips, chicken chips. <laughs> and uh, Gaza, Gaza said to me, Mira, come here, come here. I said, okay, you, what, what you need? Go to, go to the gaffer, Mr. Will, he was up front in the bus. Go to the gaffer and said to him, Mr. Will, I am fucking starving. <laughs> <laughs> this one was the first one. I have so many, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, he always put me in, the, in bad situations <laughs> with his teacher's words for, for me. But he was fantastic. I, I have on a very very good memories from him. One, another one, uh, I had uh, my little girl. She was born in Newcastle, Sarah. And uh, one day he came for me and said, "Mira, I go to give one one present to your daughter." I said, "Okay, good." He came with one small dog, uh, cocker spaniel dog, yeah. and he said. Uh, Put my names on, on the dog. Why? She's a she's a, a feminine, no, not not a man. Yeah. So, no, no problem, no problem. That problem. This is big problem. I, I do. I will not to put your name on one family family dog. He said, oh, okay, no problem. Put you the name what you like. What happened to the cocker spaniel? Cocker spaniel. Yes. What happened to it? Oh, I I I I, I brought to Brazil with me. Really? Yes. <laughs> And uh, after after three four years, she she died by oh. by cancer. So no better way really to end the um, compilation podcast and with that that brilliant interview for, with with Mirangina, um a, a true gent and a, a real pleasure to meet him, uh, as it was with everyone on the trip. Uh, incredible, incredible opportunity we had, and um, you know, 
hopefully this is a this has given you a some insight into football across South America and the you know the people and the passions involved in it and you know I can only say for me and Norm what a absolute honour it was and you know obviously all of these podcasts um, are on Patreon and there'll be a lot done with all the video footage we have um, in the coming months um, but um, yeah um, thank you as ever for your support and um, yeah if you, uh, if you if you like what you hear um, it's all up on Patreon for subscribers um, as plenty more brilliant contact will be um, over the coming year but um, yeah thanks for your support and uh, onwards good luck for the season whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system yet then you'll want to listen up This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.